Oh, that was so good. So good. Well, just give me a second, if you will. Well, it's great to be home. A lot has happened since I stood before you last, and we're here, and we're grateful for that and excited about what God will do in the days ahead. So I want to start today with you. As we talk about first things, I actually want to highlight last things. Um, Last words can be important. If you go back and do a little bit of research through history, some of the last words of some very famous people echo across the generations with importance and significance. But I'm not going to go to any of those today. I'm going to go to one that is actually inscribed on a tombstone, the backside of a tombstone, on the outskirts of Edinburgh, Texas. Little town in the Rio Grande Valley of deep south Texas with a small cemetery out on the edge of town. And there is buried a lady of the church where I pastored, served for 20 years. And her family told me about this headstone, and they said, you just need to go see it for yourself. And they told me the name, and they said, after you find the headstone, walk around to the backside and see what's imprinted on the back, because those were the words that she last spoke. On the back of her tombstone, I found... Several months later when I stood out to do the first graveside service of many that I did there, I found her tombstone, walked around to the backside, and on the back these words that captured who she was. Last words, I told you I was sick. (laughs) So last words can be important. But today, I really want to focus in not so much on the last words. I did that last week at another church. Today, I want to talk about first things. You know, first things hold significance for us. We have a grandson and a granddaughter and another grandson that's on the way that will be here sometime in December. Not here, but in the world sometime in December. And so we've been living through some first things with our first uh, grandson. His name is Declan, and he just turned two years old. And uh, so we've been through the first things with him. Babies seem to have a lot of first things significance for us. The first tooth, the first step, the first haircut. And the one that I liked best was the first one to get his attention as it related to how he was going to speak to us. And he could have said to his grandmother, her name is Nani to him, but he chose to speak first to me. I love this boy. (laughs) And so I'll never forget the first time he looked at me and he said, Doc. First things are important. Most of us, I don't want to cause trouble in your lunch discussion with your spouse. Most of us remember our first kiss. Maybe you remember your first date. We remember a lot of first things, which drives me to the moment today and to this day. Teresa and I rolled into town about lunchtime on Thursday. And since Thursday, your new pastor in his first few days here, experienced his first day at the office, first hospital visit. Last night, we attended our first quinceanera here. For new pastors, the whole world is full of first things. 
And particularly today, I want to focus in on this first sermon series that we will do, because today is the first entry into that series. And in this series, we want to emphasize first things, not just first in sequence, but first in importance. What I really want to do over the next few weeks is to lay out some of those basic first in priority kind of truths around which we must coalesce and we must gather, and then with those things, we must approach the future as we seek to be all that God has called us to be as a church. I want to emphasize for you in my first things here the truth that will shape us as a people. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Proverbs. And as I come as your new pastor and you turn to Proverbs chapter 23, uh, there is this part of me, like with every new pastor going to a point of service for the first time, there is this voice in the back of his head that says, man, I hope this works. (laughs) Just being real with you here, there's always that part where there's so many unknowns or so many what-ifs that are attached to going to a new city with a new church and new approach to doing things and having to learn and be a quick study on so many things. There is that voice in the back that if we were really honest, we'd say, I really hope this works. And, you know, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not the only one saying that today. Many of you are sitting out there going, man, I hope this new pastor thing works. So let's figure out some things that might help us ensure that it does. In Proverbs chapter 23, we're going to actually read two verses, verses 17 and 18. But I need to stop and let you know that in verses 17 and 18, we, we kind of jump into the middle of a section here that actually started in, uh, back in chapter 22, and it reaches forward into chapter 24. And the sage, I'm going to call him the wise guy this morning, the, the one who is responsible for the Holy Spirit working through him and writing down these things, the sage says to us, uh, there are these 30 different things that if you're to live a life that is marked by wisdom, you will be characterized by these things, 30 of the those. We're going to jump into the middle, and we're just going to look at one of them today because I think it is ripe for us for the moment. Just let me stop for a second and make this as an aside kind of a comment. One of the things that I will do on a regular basis as an attempt to help you in your own personal following of Jesus Christ as his disciple, uh, I will stop occasionally and throw out some tools for your discipleship toolbox. Uh, I think to try to live the Christian life in a passive manner is a little bit dangerous. And so we, we need to be proactive in some things. And one of the things that we need to be really good at is handling Scripture. And so uh, here's one of those tools for your discipleship toolbox. If you're not really sure how to go about a planned uh, approach to doing Bible study, you could start in the book of Proverbs. When I first was called to the ministry, I knew that uh, I was ill-equipped for that in my life. I had come out of a bad background, most of you know that, uh, and I was gripped by (laughs) the immensity of the calling. And so I began to pray that God would give me wisdom. If I was going to be a leader of his people, then I needed wisdom that could only come from him. And not long after that, somebody pushed me to this little approach. So here's the tool for you. If you take the book of Proverbs and study through one chapter a day, then you'll get through the whole book of Proverbs in a month. And if you'll do that every month for a year, you will have covered the book of Proverbs 12 different times, and you still would not have begun to scratch the surface of the wisdom that's there. But it's a great way to start. Okay, so you didn't have to pay for that one today. That was free. Let's move on. 
So we find in these two verses, beginning of verse 17, the sage says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely, here's the verse for the day, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. So if we're to get to the point where this does work, for me as a pastor, for us as a church, if it's going to work, we have to get our priorities right. You see, the way this is written in this little section that I was talking about starting in chapter 22, the writer is pushing these truths to his reader, to his student. And he's saying to to him and to us by extension that if you'll do these things, then you ensure longevity. And it kind of drills into an old Jewish mindset that essentially says that if we live our lives in the fear of the Lord, that's verse 17, then we can be sure that God will bless us and our lifetime will be long. He's drilling into that, and he, and he holds it out for us as we come to that. And so verse 18 actually is a contrast to verse 17. Verse 17 gives the negative prohibition, don't envy sinners. Verse 18 gives it in the positive sense that says, fear the Lord. Now, that pulls us to the first point of clarification today because there's a couple of terms I want to make sure that we get. This word, phrase, actually, fear the Lord, is important in Scripture, and it's often misunderstood. There are those people who would approach God with this fear. It's this unhealthy kind of fear. It's the one that marked my life when I was in gross rebellion against God. It was that awareness that God was God and that he was holy and that he was righteous and that if I wasn't careful, he would just reach down and squash me like a bug. Many people live their lives in a relationship with God that way, that it's this point of fear, and it's not the healthy kind of biblical fear. It's the emotional kind of fear that comes from a misunderstanding and misapplication of the character of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't discipline us and he won't inject himself in ways into our lives that cause us to go, okay, I need to get something straight here. But that's not God's preferred approach with us. This fear of the Lord that we're talking about here is not shrinking back in horror. This is our first, first thing, actually. It is the point of making him the highest priority in our lives. We'll get to, in the, in the weeks ahead, we'll get to a passage of Scripture that underscores that very clearly. But for today, we just begin with this sense, this understanding that we must live in light of the fact of who God is. This is a life that is marked by obedience and a life that is marked by reverence. When he talks about living in the fear of the Lord, this is, this is a lot of what we sang about this morning. This is a life where we recognize and we embrace and we respond appropriately to the person of God, his holiness and his glory and his majesty. He is God. I am not. hate to be the one to break it to you, but you are not either. He is God. 
And a life that is lived in the fear of the Lord is a life that is lived understanding and acknowledging and then appropriately responding in everyday life to the fact that he is God. So he starts that way. And what he says then with that is that that life, the life that is lived in the fear of the Lord, not the one that is lived in sin and rebellion against God, but the one that comes underneath his authority and lives as if he really is God, that is the life that will be blessed, and that is the life that has longevity. He drills into a deep Jewish heritage here about how to make it through life in the best way possible. And so the the wise guy, the sage, says to us, Wear this. Make this a part of your everyday life. Live in the fear of the Lord. And so as we come to this particular time and as we look forward and say, okay, so will this work or not? That's another way. That's kind of shorthand for saying, are we going to be successful? Is that new preacher going to be successful here? And my whole point this morning is driven by this truth. If we're not living in obedience and reverence to God, No matter what else we accomplish, we are not successful. We start there. It's a building block for us as a church. If there's any hope that First Baptist Church of El Paso be successful, it begins with an acknowledgement of who God is. Now, that moves me then to say we need to clarify some other terminology. And so we move forward to verse 18. Let me read it again. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Notice that that's given as a promise. Just to be very frank with you, as we moved through the process of courting, if you will, between y'all's search committee and me and my wife, uh, there were times that I sat back understanding something of the history and the legacy of this church. And I was driven by the question, will this work? And God drove me to this passage. Surely there is a future. There's no questioning about that. That's not written as one of those kind of things that goes, well, you know, you could take it either way. This is one of those statements of fact. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So let's talk about hope for a minute, because it's one of the key words of this particular passage, and I need to make sure that we're all on the same page about what it means and what it doesn't mean, because, now let me just start with what it doesn't mean. Because in our world, we tend to say that hope, um, well, we don't say it that way necessarily, but we're, we're kind of driven by hope is wishful thinking. For example, it's August, and all of us, including me, all of us who are Cowboys fans, you know Dallas Cowboys? Okay, we we get Dallas Cowboys in El Paso, right? All right, all of us who are Dallas Cowboys fans live in hope because it's August. By the time October gets here, our hope will be shattered as it relates to the Cowboys. But in August, the Cowboys must be Super Bowl contenders. (laughs) Wishful thinking. (laughs) It gets a little more personal than that, unfortunately. You know, for me and Teresa, 
We still have unfinished business back in East Texas. By the way, did you know there's a lot of highway miles between East Texas and... (laughs) We hope that our house sells in Lumberton, Texas. Now, we could, and there are days that we settle in where we hope that our house sells in East Texas is wishful thinking. Every time we get a phone call or a text message from our real estate agent and she says to us, well, that couple wasn't the one to buy it, then our wishful thinking kind of bubbles back to the surface. Well, maybe there's somebody else. We hope that somebody else, we hope that the next couple, we hope, wishful thinking, that this house sells so that we can close that chapter off and be fully here. Wishful thinking. And doubtless, there are those, whether in the pew today or out there somewhere, there are those who model wishful thinking when it comes to this new preacher. Well, we hope that it works. While that is an acceptable use of the term hope in many applications, there are some problems with that biblically. Because when we take hope as wishful thinking, we reduce true to possible. Let me say that again. I want to make sure that we get that. Biblically speaking, when we use the word hope as we find it in verse 18 here, and I'll show you a couple of other places in a little bit to help underscore what I'm saying. But when we try to take wishful thinking and put it on this word hope as we find it in verse 18, then all of a sudden we have introduced this possibility in place of truth. So what we find, and I've already highlighted this, and I did it on purpose early so that we could see that verse 18 is written as a promise. It is written as certainty. It is written as truth. It's not written as wishful thinking. When we live our lives in the fear of the Lord with that proper obedience and respect and reverence for God and a lifestyle of worship, when we do that, the wise guy says, that we step into certainty with God. There is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. We want this to work, then we need to hang on to hope. By the way, that's not just true for me or for this church. This is true in your own personal life. What is God's promise to you in your personal life? What are you going through today that you really need Confidence, where wishful thinking won't cut it for you. Hope. You see, when we reduce biblical hope to wishful thinking, we get it backwards. I'm going to give you my working definition of hope. And you'll hear it a lot, I'm sure, as we go forward. I don't know how how long God's going to let us be here. I hope it's till I die. I hope I don't die tomorrow. (laughs) So you'll hear some things uh, every once in a while, and here's one of the things that I'm going to make sure that we get. Okay, it's another one of those tools for our toolbox as followers of Christ. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is the confident assurance 
based on the revealed Word of God. Let me say that again. Hope is confident assurance based on the revealed Word of God. And I'm going to come back and break that down in here in just a moment, but let me illustrate what I'm talking about before. Because when we reduce hope to wishful thinking as it relates to our Christian lives, then we take truth and we just make it possible rather than firm truth. And it's backwards. There was a time in my life, I was, I was in high school, I was in my final year of high school. At the time, I was hoping it was my final year of high school, but there were no guarantees about that. And as I was going through my senior year, I decided that I was going to put myself and just pour myself into a particular competition. And it was one of those elements of church, I mean, excuse me, of school life uh, in high school where you start at this local level and you have to win a competition. And if you win that level of competition, you go to another level. This was very much an individual thing. It was not a team sport at this particular point. And so I decided that my goal for my senior year was I'm going to make this all the way through and be a winner at the state level. And so I started that process, and I poured myself into it. And I mean, and I was living like the devil in those days. I went to church only because my dad was pastor. Uh, I could t- you just don't even want to know about those days in my life. But at this particular point, that part of me that's just driven, and that's still a part of me, um, I, I just determined that I was going to succeed at this, and I was going to make it all the way through to the highest levels. And so I started doing that. I started uh, working at it, and I, I got somebody to help me, uh, somebody who was very proficient at that, and they began to teach me and train me. And so I won the first competition. We got to the second competition and I won that competition, and we got to the third, and I made it all the way through until the final competition. And at this particular competition, you had to be in the top two in order to go to that final state-level achievement. So I found myself in a room at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, 30 other people trying for those two spots. And we went through the whole process. They sent us out. And we were out probably 30 or 40 minutes, and then they called three of us back in, and I was one of the three. They're going to take two positions, and there were three of us. It was sudden death. Now, before I tell you how that ended up, let me just tell you that in all of my life of rebellion, that was going on at that time, somehow I figured if I prayed about it, it would help. I didn't just pray about it for me. I got everybody I knew to pray for me on that deal. Before I left town, I went to my dad's church, and everybody that I could get to, hey, I got this. I've been working at this. Would you please pray for me? Out of 30, actually out of a whole region of the state, we were down to two spots and three people. And I placed all of this emphasis and all of this religion, and I was number three. Remember what I said. Hope, when it is reduced to wishful thinking, sets us up for failure. Because I hoped... 
And I took that wishful thinking and I pushed it into prayer and I pushed it onto God's back and I essentially said, God, I'm giving you this part of me because I want this. In other words, I took my agenda and I handed it off to God and said, please do this for me. That's backwards. Hope, remember what I said, the definition is it is a confident assurance based on the revealed Word of God. That kind of hope is certain. Wishful thinking kind of hope is just possible. And so when I did not get what I was working for and had worked for and even handed off to God for his stamp of approval, when I didn't get that, I just turned my back on God and walked away. Chances are good that there are people in this room today who either are in the same boat I was in or you know somebody who does, maybe a family member, maybe it's a husband, a wife, a child of yours maybe, that had enough of the whole churchianity thing with all of the right language that they got disappointed with God somewhere and they walked away from him. Hope has to be more than wishful thinking. I hope this works. Can't just be wishful thinking. We need certainty here. I promise you, I wouldn't be standing in front of you today if Teresa and I hadn't gotten confident assurance that this is where God wanted us to be. So when we say we hope this works, I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm hanging on to a promise from God that says this is one of those first things for us. This is one of those foundation stones for us. I'm holding on to the confidence that says God, if we will let him be God, will say to us as a church, there is surely a future for you. Your hope will not be cut off. You have that today? That confident assurance in your life. How do you get the confident assurance? This is where I went wrong back in my high school days. Because I took my word and asked God to endorse it. But confident assurance comes when we live in fear of the Lord. We recognize that he is God and we are not. And we bow before him and we listen for his voice. And he says, this is the way. Go here. And we trust the revealed word of God that he will never set us up to fail. If we're going to work here, you and me, and if we as a church are going to work here in El Paso and beyond, we need to hear the revealed Word of God. We need to know that God says, this is the way. Walk here. This is the plan. Go here. It's not enough for us to have a great legacy here. We must determine as a church that we will walk with God today. And tomorrow morning when we wake up, we must determine we will walk with God today. And every day of the future that God has for us, if this is going to work, we have to listen for the voice of God and then obey.
This is not new information for you today. I know that. It is truth. And any time we are confronted with the truth of God, we are confronted with a choice. Will we receive it or not? I'll close with this. This definition of hope that I'm giving you is found in other places in Scripture. Not, not the definition necessarily, but the, the way that it's used comes bubbling to the surface for us. Colossians 1.27, among other things, says, talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, if the only hope you have of getting to heaven is wishful thinking, you're missing out on the truth of Jesus Christ. It is confident. We, we can be confident and be assured that, as Paul says in Colossians, that he is our hope of glory based on the revealed word of God. We could go over in the First Peter where in 1 Peter 1, 3, he says that we are born again to a living hope. That's confident assurance. That's not wishful thinking. We could go over in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, 81, where the psalmist there in this long treatise about the viability and the importance of embracing the Word of God, he says, I hope in your Word. Confident assurance based on the revealed Word of God. What is God's Word for us as a church? Well, we'll unpack that. In the days, in the weeks, and the years ahead, we will unpack his revealed word to us. The word for today, I think, is we place our hope in Jesus Christ. We are his children. He is not finished with us. So the call is a call of commitment today. First of all, do you know him as your Savior? Have you surrendered your life? Have you heard from Jesus to the point that you can recognize that my life is empty? It's not what it could be. It's not what it should be. It's not what is available to me through Jesus Christ. If that's you here today, then my best sermon to you is you need Jesus. You don't need religion. You need Jesus in your life who gives life that blows your mind. Do you have that? If you don't, we're going to have an invitation time that, that's the time. Come, we'll talk about that. Won't try to force you into anything. Won't try to talk you into anything. Won't embarrass you. But if you don't know Jesus on a personal level, that's where you start. Reality is most of us in this room probably do. What is his word to you? Where are you placing your confident assurance as it relates to the details of your life? And for us as a church, will this work? I hope so. Let's pray. And Father, as we come to you in prayer, we ask you to do a work in the lives of your people today. We stand, I stand, recommitted to you to do the hard work of listening for your voice and to be obedient as you reveal your plan to us and as you open your word to us. We make the commitment to you that as we hear, so will we do. Make it be so as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing you come.